Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I am a follower of Jesus, and I find the Bible to be absolutely amazing and love helping people experience it anew. Because in my 12 plus years of teaching the Bible professionally, I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. Because when the biblical text is set in its context, it becomes more relevant, compelling, and transformational than we ever imagined. My desire is for all people to experience the Bible this way and to see Jesus at the center of it all. It's to this end that I created the teaching series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. So if you find an episode particularly helpful, I'd encourage you to check out the video version as well. And please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. Friends, hello there, and welcome to another episode in the teaching series. I am absolutely geeked about this episode because I just get to respond to your questions, and they're great questions, and they've caused me to think and ponder and wrestle with how I'm going to answer them. So um, this is something that we tried out for this series. So if you're just joining us, the last six weeks we have been talking about the Zacchaeus story in Luke chapter 19, and one of the things we did throughout the series was just to invite all of you to put your questions in the comment section at walkingthetext.com. And then we would do an episode where I just go through your questions and just answer them. So there's a couple of questions that were um, a bit redundant, so I would answer some in the comment section. But then here are just uh, the rest of the questions as well. And so thanks for for doing this. I hope uh, that you enjoy this and just kind of engaging questions. I really like it because obviously throughout this series, I've come with things that I've wanted you to see, but now I get to hear from you and go, okay, here are things that you want to know more about. So, so let's look at this. So, um, great questions. All these questions are fantastic. So, so here we go. The first one was from Sue and she said, if Zacchaeus is small in social kind of stature rather than like physical stature, and he was a chief tax collector, would it not have been a bad idea for the people in town paying the taxes to treat him so poorly. Like we talked about how he was kind of like pushed out onto the outer edges of society. And then she says, would they be concerned he would tax them more if he was pushed to the back? And that's a very insightful question. I would just say in answer to that, that there is only so much someone can do before everything else gets upset. Like the apple cart gets totally upset. So I think that there is a sense where the people knew that they were being shafted from Zacchaeus, but there's only so, it's only so far that Zacchaeus could go and how much he was taxing them before even Rome would get involved in something like this. And so I think that there is kind of this happy medium. I think the people who were maybe angry at Zacchaeus would have pushed him to the side just to say, listen, you're going to gouge us regardless, and we're just going to shame you in the process to let you know how much we don't like you. So that, that's, that's how I would respond to that. Obviously, I'm responding to these questions, and maybe there's, there's more to it, but that's just how I would respond um, to that question. Um, Carl asks, 
Is it possible Zacchaeus repented in Luke 3 and he is now recounting that changed life to Jesus? All right, so Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing at the Jordan River, which is just opposite of Jericho. And it says that tax collectors are coming to him. John is preaching a message. And as Carl said, listen, could Zacchaeus have been on those banks? Could he have repented? And could he just be saying, this is what I am now doing when he talks about his response? Is it possible Zacchaeus could have been down at the water? Absolutely. Is it possible that he could have repented? Yes, it's possible that he could have repented there. Um, I still think that he's coming to Jesus because he still has some repenting to do. So whether you know he was a partially repentant down at the Jordan River, um, my whole thing is is that that he is going after Jesus in Luke 19 because he, there is something in him that he just needs Jesus for. And what Carl highlights here is what is the other interpretation of what's happening in Luke 19. So there are some scholars who will say that what Zacchaeus is doing is he's just identifying what he's already been doing. Like he already gives half of his possessions to the poor. If anybody he wrongs, he pays back fourfold. Like this is already what he is doing. Um, I think it is more a pronouncement that that's what he is going to do, which tells me if that's the way that I'm interpreting it, that he hasn't repented thus far. And so I think very well he could have heard the message of John the Baptist down at the Jordan River, that there is a sense that maybe John already kind of put some foundation block in place. And then when Jesus comes to town, like Zacchaeus is going all out. But I do take the interpretation and not that one is better than another because majority of scholars are on one side and minority on other. Um, It's just that there is more of a minority view that, that Zacchaeus is saying, this is what I'm already doing versus the majority view, which, which I hold to. And not just because again, it's the majority view, but because of all of the pieces we've tackled in the last six weeks, I think Zacchaeus is looking to repent. And when Jesus says, you know, today salvation has come to this house, he's talking about something happening in that moment. And I don't think that Jesus would have said that if it's just a pronouncement of this is what I already do versus this is what I'm going to do. And Jesus goes, okay, now the salvation has come to this house. So Carl, great, great question there. And, uh, and then also Carl had another question, which was, do you think Zacchaeus was also taking responsibility to repay what the collectors under him had cheated from people? Um, this one is more challenging because it's really even hard to imagine how Zacchaeus is even going to handle the fourfold reimbursement for those he has wronged. I mean, that... Like, I don't even know how you you do that. And so some people have just said, well, this is just the propensity that Zacchaeus has to say, listen, I'm going to now be true to the Torah and I'm going to live out like God's way going forward. How much he would actually be able to reimburse I don't know. I don't know. That's that's just one of the the, the challenges and, and questions that a number of people have asked with respect to this this story. So I, I don't think he's taking responsibility for those underneath him, other than he's going to change how things are collected under him. Would would be would be my my assumption there. All right, this one is from Steve. He says this. He says, do you think Jesus' acceptance of Matthew as his disciple was something that Zacchaeus would have known? and could have influenced him to seek Jesus out as the source of the change he was seeking. 
I think this is uh, entirely possible. In fact, I think it's very probable that Zacchaeus is aware of Matthew's change in his life. Because, like, the whole network of the tax collectors is very small. I mean, this is a very select group of people. And even though Zacchaeus is operating near Jerusalem, you know, down towards the Dead Sea at Jericho, and Matthew is all the way up in Galilee, that the story of Matthew, a tax collector, would have definitely been told to people who also collected taxes. So I very much think Zacchaeus knows this. Um, clearly from Luke 15, which I think Luke is helping us to, to connect some things together, is that you have tax collectors and sinners who are sitting around the table with Jesus, and Jesus is interacting with them and showing them socially like acceptance and love, and, and despite the fact that they're, you know, in this whole tax collection world. And so I definitely think that that could have had a factor um, playing in just because of how tight-knit that whole tax collecting network would have been. Um, Todd says, um, he asked this question, and he just says this. He says, can you explain the meaning of Jesus's response, today's salvation has come to this house? What is the Jewish mindset of salvation? Today we think of salvation as going to heaven rather than hell when we die, but was that the same meaning in the first century? In my studies, I see salvation for the first century Jew as an immediate here and now impact rather than something in the future. Any light you can shed on this topic would be helpful. And uh, this is, again, just all of these questions are very insightful. Today's salvation has come to, the, to this house. Um, as, as Todd mentioned, in our Western mindset, we immediately read that and we go, oh, he just became a Christian, right? He's got eternal salvation. And that's not how the Jewish people understood salvation. They understood salvation as being much more holistic than that. And you see even in Jesus's response when he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham, right? For the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost, that, that Zacchaeus has been put back into the fold, that he has become a son of Abraham. And as we explored in this series, it was he became what the covenant people were supposed to be like, a light to the nations, blessed for the sake of others. Uh, meeting on God's behalf, setting an example of, of what God was like in this world. And Zacchaeus up to this point has not lived into that identity and calling. And now that he says he's going to do this, I believe when Jesus says today salvation has come to this house, that this is a very holistic understanding that Zacchaeus is recognizing what his identity and calling is now in this world. And in the Jewish mindset, salvation is not something that starts after you die. Salvation is a quality of life that happens now. That for Jesus, when Jesus is saying, you're coming into a relationship with me, that you're understanding what I'm calling you to do, that as you experience salvation, this is not just something that happens to you after you die. It's this idea that salvation is available to you now, that there is eternal life, that eternal life is a quality of life that begins now and then extends into the world to come. So Todd, yeah, I think you're right on with that. This is a much more holistic thing of what Jesus is saying here. And that's why he says this man is a son of Abraham, that the son of man came to seek and save what is lost. And there's a holistic aspect that is being um, being pronounced here by Jesus. 
Uh, Leah says, can we compare the people who are muttering to the oldest son in the prodigal parable? Both have um, a semblance of obedience, but appear to also fail in attempting to bring the lost back into the father's house. Again, just another insightful question. It's so fun reading all of your questions. You, you all have just picked up on, on just a lot of great pieces. And I would say to that, absolutely, that when Jesus does the three parables in Luke 15, It is out of the fact that he is having table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. And it is the religious folks around the table who are muttering about what Jesus is doing. And so then Jesus tells these three stories about what was lost and has now been found. And in that parable, the prodigal sons, both sons are lost. One knows that he is lost the younger son, and he is coming back. And that would kind of connect into those tax collectors and sinners. But the older son doesn't think that he is lost, and yet he is lost in the story. And I believe Jesus is telling that aspect to the religious leaders. So that when, Leah, when you ask, can we compare the muttering to the oldest son, the prodigal prodigal parable, is that Jesus, I think, is saying to all these religious folks who are muttering about Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house is them saying, like, Zacchaeus doesn't deserve this. Like, he doesn't deserve the honor of you coming to his house. And they think that they are found. They think that they are in the right. And when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, I think there is a connection to Luke 15. And Jesus is saying, listen, I've come to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus knows he is lost and he needs me to help him. And to the rest of you religious people who think you have it all nailed down that you think you have it all right. You don't because you are muttering against what I am doing with Zacchaeus. And it clearly lets him know that the religious leaders have lost the plot, that they don't understand fully the way of Jesus. And they think that they are, you know, found, but it's almost like they're lost in the story. So I definitely think that there's a connection going on um, between that. Um, Craig says, could Matthew have worked for Zacchaeus? Okay, this is one of those things that now I'm looking at this again going, yeah, I should have probably answered that on the heels um, of Steve's question, but that's great. Let's come back to this. He says, um, could Matthew have worked for Zacchaeus and by quitting his job, becoming a disciple and living a changed life have been a factor in Zacchaeus wanting to meet Jesus when he came to Jericho? Perhaps Zacchaeus was at Matthew's party and Zacchaeus had previously met Jesus and that is why Jesus knew his name. Now that first question we already answered up with Steve's, but the second part of this, which is, could Zacchaeus have been at Matthew's party? Um, geography here, uh, Matthew is up around the Sea of Galilee. He's on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And so if he is throwing a party, it is highly, highly unlikely that Zacchaeus, who would have been, you know, a good 80 plus miles down the Rift Valley uh, on the north end of the Sea of Ga- uh, the Dead Sea at Jericho, would have been at this party. Um, and so I think Zacchaeus would have known Matthew's story. I'm not sure those two would have had a ton of interaction um, that would have led to this encounter um, with Jesus. But it's a really, really great question, and it's a really, really great thought. Um, And who knows, right? I mean, we don't know this for certain, but that would just be kind of my assumption based on on the geography. So, So great question there, Craig. Again, probably would have been helpful to answer that a little bit earlier, but hey, it is what it is. All right, two more questions. Um, This is from Chelsea. She says, I love that you pointed out it's not wealth that is the issue, but the heart. 
Regarding Jesus' words about entering the kingdom of heaven, Zacchaeus' encounter, and the thought I brought up the other day, she talks about in one of her, her other posts, Judas and Zacchaeus, talking about repentance and salvation, how important it is for the church and followers to truly give. Um, from what you observe, how can the church teach or emphasize Matthew 6.21, which says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, this whole conversation about wealth and what God has given us is that um, Psalm 24.1 says this. It just says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And it's the idea that, that everything we have belongs to God, that what we have we do not own. We are merely stewards on behalf of God. And so... Part of the process of giving is being reminded that what we have is not our own, that we are not defined by our finances. That's not where our trust and anchoring hope is found. And so by giving, there is a sense where we are releasing ourselves from being connected and tied into our finances as a source of our security. And so I think that's that's one aspect of giving. There's also just an aspect that goes all the way back to Genesis 12, which is God saying, I'm going to bless you. Abram and all the world's going to be blessed through you. Like we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed for the sake of others. And so by giving, there's an aspect here of going, we are called to justice and righteousness that for those who do not have, we're supposed to give. And this is just what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to live out the way of justice and righteousness in the world. And so there's lots of reasons, you know, to give. But to me, those are our two big reasons is one, we're called to it. Uh, and two, we're just reminded that our, our finances are not our own, that this is what God is calling us to do. Then what we have, we are to use to, to give and to help those um, who are in need. And this just connects too to that Matthew 6.21, which you know starts off by saying, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, you would think Jesus would say that the other way around, that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But he's not. He's saying where your treasure is. And he's talking about where you put your time, where you put your energy, where you put your effort, where your finances go. Like your heart follows. Um, it's why in, in Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Our heart follows what we put time and effort into. And so if we're going to be stingy with our finances, our heart's going to follow. If we're going to be generous with our finances, our heart is going to follow. And this is why right after this, Jesus will say, you know, the eye is the lamp of the body. And this is a whole idiomatic connection back into the Hebrew scriptures and the wisdom literature that if you have a good eye, you are generous. But if you have a bad eye or an evil eye, it's because you are stingy. And this is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Right after, you know, Matthew 6 here, 21, is that Jesus is talking about like being generous. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Um, and so and so our heart follows. So when we are generous, our heart becomes generous. When we just kind of take those actions of giving and being reminded that what we have, we do not own. We merely steward on behalf of God. Our heart follows accordingly. All right. Last question is this. Deb says um, that your last teaching, Zacchaeus part six, focusing on wealth, reminded me that Luke wrote these stories to Theophilus. If Theophilus was a Roman official, the story of a tax collector becoming honest because of the love and acceptance of Yeshua must have had a huge impression. 
And I would just say, yes. And you're like, well, where's the question in that? It's not really a question. It's, it's a statement that I would just say, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that is just what our lives are intended to do, is that our lives give witness to the changed heart that we have. And that when you have someone like Theophilus, who would have been a very wealthy patron in the Roman world, hearing about a tax collector, it's like all of these stories Luke is putting together to make a compelling case of how Jesus can impact our lives and that our lives become a message to other people about what God does, is doing, and continues to do in our lives. And so this is why we dig into the story. This is why we dig into the Bible and this is why we go, okay, what do I need to know in order that I can walk it out so that I can experience what God wants me to experience? I can live just a healthy and holistic life that others see and that they're impacted by and that as God works in our lives, God also works through us to influence and impact the world. And and that's that's part of what it is to be a human. That's what it, that's what it, part, part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So friends, thanks so much for all of your questions. I just so enjoyed this series. I hope that you enjoyed the series as well. And, uh, and what we're going to do is uh, over the next two weeks, I've got um, two teachings that connect together. They're not really kind of a mini series, but they are connected. Um, and then we're going to jump into another series and I'll give you more information about that later. But friends, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And may you as always walk out the text well in your life. <laughs>